Anyway, I just want to say I appreciate the, the, uh, the prayer team and the praise and worship team. You all did a fantastic job today. I'll tell you, um, you know, some people get worked up when service takes a little bit longer or songs go a little bit longer. But, you know, while I was over there and I was praying, God just gave me an image of a hospital. And when you go to the hospital, they don't always move fast, right? You have to give them time to do what they have to do. And when the doctor goes and, and you've got a, a sinus infection or something like that, and they give you the Z-Pack or whatever medicine, you got to give it time to work, right? And so sometimes if we want the Holy Spirit to provide that healing that we were talking about in that song, we got to give Him some time to work. And so I appreciate your patience. And man, that was just wonderful this morning. That actually... Uh, Michael, so Michael thought because I was preaching we were going to get out early today, so joke's on you, buddy. <laughs> joke's on you. No, he was teasing me about it, and I said, listen, I just don't take as long as pastor because I, I concentrate it, right? Boil it down. Just hit the high points. But no, today we're going to be talking uh, about truth. Um, I have been... Um, I have been praying and, and seeking the Lord about this. Pastor asked me a couple months ago, and I knew I was going to speak about this. And, uh, and so I've just been, I've been really stewing on it for a while, and I feel like we have a lot to cover, and I feel like it's very relevant to some of the things that we're facing today in our society, in our culture, in our families, uh, at our work. Um, and so we just want to be talking uh, and thinking about this idea of truth. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn over. We're going to turn to John chapter 18, John chapter 18, and we're going to start with verse 33. Okay, it says, Then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought for him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king. And Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word that you've given us today. Lord, this revelation in scripture, these ideas of truth and, and, and how we can know what is something that we can rely upon. Lord God, I pray that you would anoint us today, Lord. I pray that you would anoint my lips to say only what you would have me say, Lord. I pray that the message that is given today is not the message of man, but it is the word of God going forth to accomplish what it was sent to do. Lord God, I pray that you would anoint the ears of those who are here in this house listening today. Lord, I pray that their spirits would be open to hear what you want to say in their lives today. Lord, we know that you're going to bless us, and we look forward to this time together, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, truth is, uh, it's, it's a subject that has come under a lot of 
discussion and debate recently, and, and uh, just to kind of illustrate this and how it works, um, recently I heard the story of a, of a large company, and they were trying to hire a new uh, marketing director, advertising, that sort of thing, and they had boiled it down to three very qualified individuals, but they were having trouble deciding which one, so they decided, that let's call in all three uh, of these final applicants, and we'll bring them here, and, and we'll talk to them, and, and we'll decide at that point who we're going to hire. So they all come in, and they're a little nervous, you know, but they're all looking sharp, got their ties on, they sit at the table, and they walk into the room, and there's the one interviewer that's sitting there, and, and the three applicants, and, and he s- turns to the first applicant, and he says, I have one question for you, he said, and, and feel free to answer it, how you see fit, but let's, let's see what you think. And the guy, he sits up a little straighter. He thinks he's ready. Okay, hit me. What's the question? And the guy looks at him and he says, what is two plus two? All right, so the first applicant, he kind of looks around. He looks over at the other guys. He thought, surely this can't be the question. And, uh, and he turns to the interviewer and he says, well, that's four. Two plus two is four, obviously. The interviewer thanks him for his time and, and says, we won't be hiring you, and, and it's, uh, you know, thank you for coming down today. So he gets up and he leaves the room. The other two applicants are sitting there. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. I mean, 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's pretty self-explanatory, right? So this, uh, the interviewer turns to the second guy, and he says, uh, what is 2 plus 2? And the second guy thinks, oh, man. He's like, the other guy gave the right answer, and they dismissed him. So he thinks... How can I change this up? How can I word this in a way that he might like? So he says, well, obviously, 2 plus 2 is the number that falls between the range of 3 and 5. Oh, that's pretty clever, right? Right? So uh, he thinks, you know, he's feeling a little satisfied with himself. He's like, all right, I cracked this one, right? And then the interview looks at him and says, no, I'm, I'm afraid that, that that's not what we're looking for. Um, thank you for your time. And he dismisses him as well. So he turns to the third applicant and he says... What is two plus two? And the third applicant, without missing a beat, he says, what do you want it to be? And the interview hires him on the spot, right? And, uh, you know, that, it's, a, it's a funny little story, and we, we laugh at it, you know, but in reality, it's sad that we've kind of come to a place where in our society, truth is really like that. It's malleable. What do you want it to be, right? Uh, what, what's true for you? And instead, we're finding ourselves in a place where we're at a crossroads, right? Uh, as a society, as a country, as a nation, there, you, there was a time when truth was something that we knew that we could stand on. If something is true, it's true for everybody. It's universal. You know, this is the same country that started with, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? This is something that we believe, and it's firm, and it's solid, and you can take it to the bank, Right? This exact same country, several years later, was going through a civil war, and and they were uh, fighting over what the country was going to look like and what values they were going to hold. And this is the same country that had soldiers marching into battle saying, glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. This was something they were willing to stand up and fight for. Truth was something that they could count on. A hundred years later, we had Martin Luther King standing in our nation's capital thundering in, in front of these huge crowds about you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, proclaiming the words of Jesus that there is a truth out there and this truth is solid. You can count on it and it will give you freedom. Even our um, culture 
believed in truth. We believed that there was something solid, that there was something good and wholesome that we could believe in. I mean, you, you think about Superman back in the day. He fought for truth, justice, and the American way. You know, so it was, it was a part of our cultural identity is that there is a truth out there. And it's not to be invented. It is to be discovered. And when you've discovered it, you can stand on it. But now we find ourselves in a, in a culture that uh, looks to Snopes and Fact Checker. And we, we're constantly looking at headlines and all these kinds of things. And we have to check and see what's fake news and what's real news. And, and the question of what's true, we find ourselves in a real quandary. You know, people don't have this idea of absolute truth anymore. In fact, we live in a world that is confused about the nature of truth and even how we can come to know what truth is. The uh, philosophers have a word for this. They call it epistemology. And, you know, they say that uh, epistemology is the study of or it's a theory of the nature and the, the, the grounds of knowledge. How do we know things and how can we know that they're true? That's our epistemology. And see, we live in a society that it, it, our epistemology isn't, isn't working right because we don't believe that there is an absolute truth anymore. Um, we don't, and and uh, when it comes to your epistemology, it also references uh, the limits and the viability of knowledge. So, you know, we believe that human knowledge is limited, and yet when we talk, look at people in the world, they uh, tend to elevate human reason up on this pedestal and act like everything that we can know, that we can figure out the universe based off of our brains. And yet all you have to do is look back at history and you see time and time again when humans thought we had it figured out, right? We thought we knew how many elements there were. We thought there was four, right? There's uh, land and water and fire and air. And those are the four elements. And everything's made up of a mix of those four elements. And now we've discovered, well, no, actually there's over 100 different elements. And they all have different properties and all those kinds of things. Uh, we thought the same thing when it came to humanity. We thought we knew what caused sickness. We thought it was an imbalance of your humor, right? You had, uh, you had bile and you had, um, I forget what all the others are, but we believe that uh, when you were sick it was because of an imbalance in your humors. And, and so that's why we would use leeches and those kinds of things to try and balance out your humors. And, humors. and we thought that we had figured out what caused illness in people. But now we know, and every year we're finding new discoveries about disease and about how we can fight it and how we can alleviate symptoms and those kinds of things. So all you have to do is look in history and you see very quickly that we always think we've got it figured out. But a few years down the road, we realize we're having to adjust how we looked at things, right? And so when we, look, when we realize that Humans don't, figure, don't have it all figured out. When we don't know everything, we've got to find, well, what is the one thing we can know, right? And this is, this is an old question. I mean, it's as, it's as far back as when Pilate said, what is truth, right? This is, this is something that they've been uh, arguing with and, and, and wrestling with for years and years. The, the ancient Greek philosophers on into the Enlightenment. You think about someone like uh, Rene Descartes who, who had his famous maxim, cogito ergo sum, which means I think, therefore I am. He was trying to find that one thing. This is the bedrock thing that I can count on. I know because I'm thinking I exist, right? And then he tried to build his whole philosophy based off of that. But then other philosophers came along and said, well, no, you can't know that. How do you know you're not just a computer simulation running along in your head? You know, so we find ourselves at a place where we, we, we don't have that solid foundational truth to build off of. Um, 
Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck wrote, they said, what is left in our society and by extension our churches is a view of truth that is at best inconsistent and at worst incoherent. We live in a world that is at its very core is confused about how we even come to know what truth is. And you might think, well, that might be the rest of the world, but that doesn't apply to us Christians. But uh, tragically, there have been polls that have shown that the majority of Americans, over 70% of Americans, believe that there is no absolute truth. And you think, well, that's the world. No, if you take that, if you take out of that born-again, Bible-believing Christians, the number is still over 50% say that there's no absolute truth. That's mind-blowing to me. This is, this is the church that we're talking about. This is who Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He said the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. So if the church is the pillar, if the church is the foundation, and the church is not even sure that truth exists, how are we going to be able to make a difference in our world? How do we know anything, right? So today we're going to make a short defense of absolute truth, right? So here we go. When it comes to truth, you basically have two options. First is that truth is defined by God. It's true for everyone. It is objective and it is absolute, all right? That's number one. Something's true or it's not, black or white, right? And then the second option is that truth is divined by the individual. It is subjective, and it is situational. And so for too many of us, we think that because there are gray areas, right? We say because there are things that, that can change, based on circumstances or whatever, we think that that makes it true for everything. But that's not really true. Because there are some things where it's black and white. I mean, you look in Scripture. It's like, uh, I, I am the Lord your God. I am one. We believe that God is one. All right? We believe that, that murder is wrong. We believe that adultery is wrong. We believe that stealing and dishonesty is wrong. How do we believe those things? Because God says they're wrong. And there's no wiggle room on that, right? It's black and white. You can't say, well, it's okay to murder sometimes if they make you really, really mad. You know, that's not how it works. Now, there are things that, where there are gray areas. There are things where, because of the situation, you're not sure how to apply the black and white truth. And so sometimes we have to work through the process. What is okay? What is acceptable? What is the right thing to do in this situation? But just because there are certain applications that are gray instead of black and white does not mean that the absolute truth does not exist, right? So... Um, that's where, what our two options are. And as Christians, we need to come down firmly on the side of there is absolute truth. Josh McDowell wrote that when we talk about truth, when he said we, he's talking about Christians. When we talk about truth, we're saying this. We're talking about that which is right for everyone at all times in all places. It's right for everyone at all times in all places. So that is what truth is. And when we look in Scripture, in scripture, we see those things that are absolute truths. We have to be able to hold on to those and say, look, I don't care what you say. I don't care how you try to convince me. I don't care that you know, it's not convenient at this time. This is right. This is wrong. God said it. I believe it. We have to stand on those promises. And what it boils down to is that it creates a set of assumptions that as Christians we have to hold, right? We have some basic assumptions that if we let go of these assumptions, then we have no way of backing up our faith. Now, faith 
is something that you believe, right, without necessarily having all the evidence. But at the same time, there are things out there that bolster your faith, that back up your faith. I believe the Bible is true, and yet that doesn't mean that I don't still, uh, I'm not still interested in like archaeological digs in the Middle East. I love it. I used to subscribe to this uh, magazine that was all about that. It was these, I, I don't even know how I got interested in it, but it, it was this archaeolo- archaeological magazine and it would have uh, two scholars and they'd get in there and they'd be arguing back and forth over whether or not this uh, evidence that they found when they were digging out in the desert, whether or not it backs up what scripture says. And I don't know, it, it it didn't not convince me. I still believed that the Bible was true. It's interesting to me, though, when they go out and they find stuff like the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they, when they dig up the city of Jericho and they find the, 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 how the walls had collapsed and then the fire afterwards, just as it was described in the Bible. When we see those kinds of things, when they, when they dig at the pool of Bethsaida and they find the, 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 the pillar, the, the, the porch with five pillars, just like it's described in the book of John, you know, those kinds of things are very interesting to me. It doesn't mean that I don't have faith. I believe it, but there is evidence out there. But here are the assumptions that we have to hold on to as Christians if we're to have any kind of faith. Number one, we have to believe that God has revealed himself to mankind, right? He has revealed himself. We're not out here in the dark trying to figure it out on our own. God called us up, right? He didn't use a telephone. He spoke to us through his his prophets. He spoke to us through the authors of the Bible. He has revealed himself to us. If God has not revealed himself to us, then everything that we believe about Christianity has just been made up, right? Because we have no confidence in it. We have no way of knowing that it's true or not. But we believe that God has revealed himself to to mankind. The second one that we have to believe is that mankind has the capacity to understand the revelation. If God revealed himself to us, but he only revealed it in some heavenly language that no one spoke, we wouldn't be able to understand it, right? How many of you guys, when you were younger, you were in class, and the teacher was talking, and it's just going over your head, right? You might be chemistry class, and they're up there, and they're making all these symbols and stuff, and you're like, hey, I thought math was about numbers, or yeah, numbers, not letters, you know? And it's all just going whoosh over your head, right? Well, we don't believe that that's how it is with God. We believe that God's communicated it to us in a way that we're able to understand it. It would be pointless for God to reveal himself in a way that we can't understand. So we believe that it is possible for humanity to understand the revelation of God. The third thing that we, that we believe, the third assumption, is that that revelation and that thing that we can understand is this right here. It's the Bible. This is the Word of God. This is how He spoke to us. He doesn't send us text messages. He doesn't send us a Facebook poke or anything like that. He sends us the Word of God. It's been saved and preserved through the, through the years. It has power. It has authority. And if it says it, then it's true, right? That's the third assumption that we have to believe. And finally, it's the content. That's the last assumption. We have to believe that the Bible tells us the truth about who Jesus was, what he did while he was here, and about how, how God used his death and resurrection to provide redemption and salvation for us. Those four things, those four assumptions, if any one of those four assumptions breaks down, then our entire system of belief has no reason to exist. And so those are the four things that we cannot go back on. So then you have questions, right? People will say, well, what about 
you know, what about uh, in, the, in the Old Testament where it says, you know, you shouldn't tattoo and mark yourself? Or other places where, um, you know, the Bible on the one hand will say, you know, you shouldn't be given to drunkenness. And then on the next hand it says, you know, uh, allow those who are, are poor in spirit and allow them to drink their wine and feel better. You know, you, they, they try to point out contradictions. They'll try to say, oh, well, it said that, that this city was 10 miles away when in actuality it was 15. And they, they try to break down the Bible and say, you know, it, it's not all true. But it is. I remember one of my professors, I loved what he had to say about the truth and authority of Scripture. He said, listen, I believe everything in this Bible is true. Now, whether it's true uh, factually, geographically, uh, metaphorically, right? Because, I mean, there's times when, I mean, just look at the Song of Solomon, and, and he says, your neck is like an ivory tower, and, and your, your, sheep are li- or your teeth are like sheep. White sheep coming down off the hills. Everyone has its pair and its match. Well, it's good to know he didn't date women with no teeth, right? But anyway, the point is, he wasn't saying she had fuzzy woolly teeth, right? He wasn't saying that her tower, that her neck was huge like a tower. No. I mean, it's true. It was true to him. He was making comparisons. And so we have to understand Scripture. We have to take it apart and look at it. Was this a poem or was this a factual account? Was this a parable that Jesus was telling? You know, we have to look at the different types of Scripture. But either way, we have to be deeply rooted in the, in, in our, in the revelation of God. And when there's no authority in God's Word, then we're all wasting our time. So what happens when we begin to play around with Scripture, when we start saying, well, this might be true, but that's not true. You know, I believe this, but I don't believe that. And when we start picking and choosing, we find ourselves at a place where we begin to underhandedly, and and sometimes without even realizing what we're doing, we begin to accept some of the philosophies of the world that have sprung up to to combat a biblical worldview. For instance, uh, one, one view that becomes popular is secularism. They begin to deny the spiritual things about Christianity. I mean, we look at someone like, you know, Thomas Jefferson, you know, he, he uh, obviously had some great things about him, was a great architect and, and, and curious thinker and, and obviously had, had a strong hand on the formation of our nation and we, we value that. But he also had some things that he wasn't so keen on. I mean, he still was a slave owner and, and there were other things that, you know, that, that we don't necessarily agree with. And one of the things that really made me lose a lot of respect for Thomas Jefferson was when I found out that he made his own version of the Bible. He took his, he took his New Testament and literally went through it with, with a knife and would cut out anything that had to do with something supernatural or spiritual. Any kind of miracles of Jesus, anything like that. He, he took out reference to the virgin birth. Uh, he took out uh, references to, to miracles of healing and, and resurrection and all those kinds of things. And what he was left with was this New Testament. And in fact, if you go to Monte, Monticello or Monticello, however you say, the place where he uh, built, um, you can see his, his New Testament with all the holes cut in it. And, um, you know, what he was left with is, is he, he basically preserved the moral teachings of Jesus, but he took away any kind of supernatural thing. It's, it's this idea that now today is known as secularism. They believe uh, in, in the here and now because what, what happens here in the material world, that's all that matters, right? They believe life is linear and that you should just try to maximize your enjoyment because today is all that matters. You're not promised tomorrow, and when you do finally get old and die, that's going to be all there is to it, so you better make your time here count. And it's easy for those ideas to kind of creep in to 
our worldview if we're not constantly guarding against that. And so secularism is one way where if we're not convinced about the truth of Scripture, that that can get to us. Another one might be utopianism, right? And, um, you know, our society, our culture has kind of moved past the whole idea of, like, communism. You know, for a long time that was a big threat is that, you know, uh, communism was going to take over the world and, and it was going to create this utopian society. And so there would be those people out there who, um, you know, their foundation, all right, their idea is that um, we are all basically good people. They would say that we're actually getting better over time. These are the people that will say, well, you're on the wrong side of history because, you know, when we get to the right side of history, you know, as, as you, if you would just uh, educate yourself more, if you would just learn, if you would just get beyond all these backwards ideas, then world would be, the world would be grand. And see, the problem with utopia is you can point to the places where communism was tried and they'll say, well, that didn't work out because it, it wasn't real communism. They didn't really follow all the rules. You know, they, would, they try to point the blame and say that the problem is in something else. But that flies in the face of what Christianity believes about humanity. We don't believe that humans are basically good, right? We believe that at our core, humans are basically twisted, right? Because of sin, because of our inherent nature. And so when someone comes to me and says, oh, if we could just all hold hands and sing kumbaya and everything will be grand, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, that ain't going to work, right? I was even talking to somebody this morning. I read an article this week. And for some reason, it just struck me as really funny. There is this group, um, I don't, you can't even call them an organization because they're unorganized, but it's this, group of, it's this group of hippies, all right? They call themselves the Rainbow Cooperative or I don't know, something, not Rainbow Coalition, that's Jesse Jackson, Rainbow something or other, right? And it's these hippies, and they get together, they'll have these meetings in various places in the country, and because they're all about this utopian idea of, of hope and love and all these kinds of things, they have banned the idea of money, right? There's no money to be spent, all right? So if you come to this hippie festival, and somebody has crocheted a really cool quilt, and you want it, you should just like work it out and just be like, hey man, can I have that quilt? And they should just give it to you without you having to get any kind of money. There's no barter, there's no IOUs, there's nothing like that. They say that goes against our principle of everybody should just do everything for each other out of love. Well, here's what's so funny about it. What has happened is there is now like a black market at these hippie uh, gatherings and what they're using as a system of, of trade is they're using Snickers bars. So before these hippie meetings, they'll all go down to Sam's Club and buy these big cases of Snickers, and they'll go down there and they'll be like, hey man, I want that hot dog, I'll give you a Snicker for it. And so then they'll trade the hot dog for the Snicker, or they'll say, hey, that's a really cool dream catcher you made there. Here, I'll give you three Snickers for it. And it's cracking me up because here they're out there, they're saying, oh man, we should just be doing stuff because we love each other, we're going to ban the idea of money, when they've just replaced money with Snickers. It's silly. And, but... That's the kind of ideas that we're fighting against because they think, oh, well, humans are just, we're basically good and, and we're all going to do things for each other just because it's the right thing to do and that sort of thing. And, and Christians, we're all standing over there saying, you guys are foolish. All you got to do is turn on the news and see that humans are not basically good, right? Um, you know, if, if all humans were basically good, we wouldn't have any need for police officers. You know, we wouldn't, need, we wouldn't need military to protect us. We wouldn't need all these things. We wouldn't need laws on the books, right? Um, but anyway, that's, a, that's another idea that we're fighting against. The third one that we're fighting against is utilitarianism. 
And this one creeps into the, into the world. Uh, they say that the greatest good is whatever is, is best for the greatest number of people. And this one is really insidious, right? Because this is where you get down into the breakdown of freedoms and that kind of thing. You see them saying, well, you shouldn't, be able to, you shouldn't have freedom of speech because you might offend somebody. And the more people you offend, the more wrong it is. And, you know, there are things that I think people say that they are absolutely reprehensible. I stand against them. We see a lot of fights over this right now uh, between the Nazis on one side and the anti-fascists on the other side, and they're all out there, and they're saying hateful things and, and attacking each other and all this kind of stuff. And let's just be honest, people. This is not the majority of America, right? This is a few kooks, it's a few crazies out there, and the media is going to plaster them all over everywhere because it makes for a good, juicy headline, right? So, but anyway, here's my thing. I'm, I'm, I stand firm by, by freedom of speech. I stand firm by freedom of religion. You know what? That means that there are going to be people in this country that don't believe like I do. There's going to be Muslims, there's going to be Buddhists, there's going to be uh, atheists, and and. I believe very firmly that it is their right to possess that belief, even if it goes counter to what I have, because by protecting their right to live out their religious conscience, that protects my right to live out my religious conscience. So, but this idea of utilitarianism is the one that says, you know, basically it boils down to mob rule, right? Because if you had, in, in a room, if you had 50, or if you had 100 people in a room, and they were trying to decide what they're going to do in this room. As long as 51 of them agree on something, then according to the utilitarian view, those 51 are right, and the other 49, well, sorry, goodbye. You know, It's this same idea that leads us to, uh, to, to very, very evil things when you follow it through to its conclusion. I mean, you look at uh, abortion, and they'll say, you know, well, we should abort babies that are born with genetic defects. And it's like, no, I mean, they have a right to life just as much as anyone else. They'll, there are even some out there who argue, let's abort babies if they're going to be born into poverty. That's crazy to me. Who says that you can't have a good life? Who says that God doesn't have a plan and a purpose for your life just because you're born in poverty? You know, Jesus was born in poverty. So would they have aborted him? You know, and so this utilitarian idea is something that creeps in. It's insidious. And the only way that we're able to fight this kind of stuff is by holding fast to what God has revealed to us as truth. And, and you know, sometimes we can, we get to a place where there, um, we, we're, it's, it's the only worldview that makes sense. I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over my words here. But I have had people come to me before and they say, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe the way that you do? Why do you think this is true? And why are you beholden to 2,000-year-old stories that you don't know if they happened or not? And I tell them, I'm like, look, I've investigated other philosophies. I've looked at other ways of looking at the world. Christianity is the only one that makes sense of the way the world is, Right? Christianity is the only one where if you look at all the evidence of how the world exists, how people act, how people interact, how we're made, Christianity is the only one that explains it all, at least to my mind. Now, it might not convince somebody else, but it convinces me. And so I'm going to hold on to this. And when somebody else comes up with something that looks like it doesn't match with what the Word of God says, I'm going to say, I believe the Word of God. And then I'm going to go to God and I'm going to say, God, why doesn't this line up? And maybe he'll answer, maybe he won't. But I believe that this is true, even if I don't always know why. Um, 
So when it comes to fighting against these worldviews, when it comes to fighting against things that, that we're dealing with in our life, we are fighting against two very strong currents. Number one, we're fighting against culture and media, right? Um, for, well, for one thing, Christianity is portrayed in a very negative way. It's portrayed as hateful, right? I mean, uh, you, all you got to do is look at um, the Christian baker, who, who says, I'm not going to bake this cake because it goes against my beliefs. Here's the card of another bakery that would be happy to help you. If you want to buy a birthday cake, I'll sell you a birthday cake, but I'm not going to sell you a wedding cake for, for a same-sex marriage. That just goes against my beliefs. That's not hateful, right? And yet they're portrayed as hateful and being bigoted and all these kinds of things. Um, sometimes on TV shows, we're watching one the other day, and... and, uh, and, and on this, they, they, they had this tent revival going on. So there's people in there, and, and so obviously they're going to represent the, they're, they're trying to show us as rubes. So they had them in there, and, you know, they had this lady pretending to be speaking in tongues and wallowing around on the floor and all this kind of stuff. And then the next thing you know, the preacher's pulling a rattlesnake out of a box and all that kind of stuff. And, and this is what they're portraying. And, you know, I know I'm not in here most Sundays, but I can say with pretty, pretty much 100% certainty, my dad doesn't pull out rattlesnakes when he's up here. Um, so, you know, but, but that's, the, that's what they try to present. They try to present these fringe ideas and present them, as, um, present them as this is the majority of Christianity. Think about groups like Westboro Baptist Church. Man, how many times have you heard about this Westboro Baptist Church? And they're all over the news. They're protesting some uh, soldier's funeral or they're protesting this or protesting that. And I remember I was thinking... One day I was, I was just thinking, I was like, man, I wish that group would just go away because they're giving Christians a bad name. They're making us look bad. And so I was like, who is this group anyway? So I started looking it up, and I realized that this Westboro Baptist Church that's been on the news how many different times exi- uh, consists of about three dozen people. There's about 36 of them going to this church. Most of them are all related, all right? And... Yet this group is the one that gets all the press time, right? It's not the groups of, of, of American Christians that are out there doing good every day, serving in food kitchens and, and, and working and, and volunteering in their community and, and doing, using their businesses to bless other people. That's not what gets seen on the news. It's the kooks. It's the crazies that get seen. And, but culture is not going to give us good press. They're not. All right, because they don't agree with us. They don't agree with what we believe. And so that's one of the streams that we are fighting against. Celebrities are constantly telling us what we should believe and what we should do and what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes they're right, right? Sometimes they get out there and they're fighting for a cause that's good. After Hurricane Katrina, after the the earthquakes in Haiti, hey, I can get on board with that. They're out there raising money to try and help people. That goes along with what I believe. I'm down with that. I can get on board with that. But then those very same celebrities will turn around and they'll start telling us that when we hold to biblical truths, that we're being hateful and that we're being backwards and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, I know that she's not as, I mean, she was the, the media mogul for a long time, but Oprah, you know, is one where people, there were people out there who actually said, Oprah is my spiritual leader, right? They would look to her for ideas of what they should believe and what is right and what is wrong. And, and this, this Oprah, who's using her influence, she said, one of the biggest mistakes we make is to believe that there's only one way. There are many diverse paths to God. As a Christian, we should have immediately gone, what? No, that does not work. 
All right, you look in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one may come to the Father except through me. When we believe what Jesus said here in the Bible, that tells us very, very clearly that what she says cannot be true. But we're fighting that. And you know what? To people who are outside of Christianity, she sounds reasonable. Well, that's reasonable. You know, because maybe, maybe the Muslims do know what they're talking about. Maybe the Buddhists are finding their way to God. You know, who are we to say that there's only one way to Jesus or one way to God? Well, guess what? We didn't say it. God said it. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way. There's only one. Here's the problem, though. We can grow weary, right? Because we're constantly fighting this stuff. It's a constant barrage telling you that you're wrong, that you're backwards, that you're hateful, that you're bigoted, and you get tired of hearing it, right? I get tired of hearing how because I believe in traditional marriage, I'm hateful towards homosexual people or transgender people or that kind of stuff. I get tired of hearing that because that's not me, right? I get tired of hearing that I'm racist. You know, that gets thrown around all the time. They say you're racist. They, they, they want to name call. They want to, they want to point you out and they say all these things about you and eventually you just get tired of fighting. You get tired of fighting. But listen, guys, we can't give up. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he said, Instead, you must worship God or worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope, listen to this, always be ready to explain it and do this in a gentle, gentle and respectful way. We have to constantly be on guard. We have to constantly be ready to answer. And yes, you get tired of it, right? For instance, I know in my family, I get accused of being grumpy sometimes, right? I don't know if it's just because my face is like naturally grumpy, but like there'll be times when Elizabeth or Ben, they walk in the room, they're like, what are you mad about? I'm like, I'm not mad. They're like, yeah, you're mad. You're being grumpy. And I was like, I'm just sitting here reading a book. How am I being grumpy? But it doesn't matter how many times I say I'm not being grumpy. They're like, yeah, you're being grumpy. And see, you're arguing with me. So that means you're grumpy. You know, I'm like, all I'm doing is just defending myself. I'm not really grumpy. But it's like, no matter what I do, no matter how many times I try to convince them that I'm not grumpy, you know, I can't win. I was like, what do you want me to do? Jump up and do a cartwheel to convince you I'm not grumpy? I can't even do cartwheels. So it's like, you know, but we always have to be ready to defend ourselves. Even when we get tired of it. Even when, when we feel worn down. And you will get worn down. I'll tell you, there have been times when I've been working. I've been out at my job. Thankfully, you know, I'm in a situation now where I don't have to hear all the foul language and stuff like that. But when I was working out in the world and I was driving a school bus. And yes, on the school bus, you're hearing the foul language. When you're waiting tables at Olive Garden, you're hearing the foul language. Man, when I would hear some of those workers talking about some of the, some of the debauchery they got up to over the weekends, I was like, okay, guys, I'm out of here, you know. You get tired of hearing it. And sometimes it's easy to just give up and quit fighting. But we have to stand firm for the truth. We have to say, this is what we believe and this is what's right. The second stream that we're fighting that's difficult is... Uh, the difficulty of transmitting our biblical values on to our children. Let's turn real quick, if you've got your Bibles handy still, let's go over to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going to start. 
Judges chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land that he had been allocated at Timnath-Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. But after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and they served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt, and they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. And this made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so He handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around them, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned, and the people were in great distress. Man, talk about highs and lows, right? You go from Joshua, who leads them, you know, Moses and Joshua, who lead them out of Egypt and through the wilderness, and then in the conquest of Canaan, victory everywhere they turned. There were cities who, when they heard them coming, when they heard that they were even in the region, they're sending ambassadors saying, please don't attack us, please, we, we see that God's on your side. We go from that generation... That generation that was led by a physical column of fire and a physical pillar of cloud that they could see with their own eyes. We go from that, that generation to the very next generation have forgotten about God entirely. We're fighting the natural shortness of human recollection. I mean, I'm only 35, and, and there are things that I don't remember very well from just 10 years ago, right? And... You know, there are times when I'll be talking to Elizabeth. She's got a much better memory than I do. And, and I'll tell a story and she's be, she'll say, you're just crazy. That is not the way it happened. But that's the way the human brain works. We, we remember some things. We might remember the high points, but then we just kind of fill in the rest because we don't even accurately remember what happened. You know, what's crazy is I love when someone tells me a story from when they're a kid. And I'm like, well, when did that happen? They're like, when I was two. I was like, I know you don't remember that. You are telling me the story that your parents told you of what happened. You don't even know if that's true, right? And kids today, I mean, they forget things. I mean, how many of you guys have seen the videos on the internet where they'll take a piece of technology from like the 80s and they'll give it to kids and they'll say, hey, check out this Game Boy, this original Game Boy with the old broccoli and cheese colored screen, you know, and kids are looking at it, they're like, what is this, a paperweight? You know, or they'll hand them a cassette player and then they'll hand them a cassette and they're like, what is this, you know, and they don't even know how to load it in the machine, they don't know what's going on with it, and, and you know, and that's not even that long ago, right? The 80s and 90s were not that long ago. And yet these kids have grown up in a time where they, they never interacted with that technology. You know, so they don't know how it works. And I'm sure that there's things from the 60s and 70s that, you, that some of you guys could be like, oh yeah, I know how to use that. And, and I would look at it and I would go, you know, because I never dealt with it, right? But here's the thing. We cannot allow our faith in God, we cannot allow our, our belief in the truth of the Word to be one of those things that falls by the wayside because we forgot to communicate it to our kids. We have to constantly be working with them, telling them the stories of God. You know, sometimes I worry in children's church that I'm too repetitive because, you know, we might talk about David and Goliath two or three times over the course of the year. And I think, you know what? Maybe they're getting sick of this story. But then every time I tell the story of David and Goliath, there's one kid out there that's like, I didn't know that. 
right? And so we have to constantly be telling the stories again. How many of you guys go to a family reunion, or you go to Thanksgiving, or you go to Christmas, or you meet up with some old college buddies, and you hash and rehash and rehash the same old stories over and over again? We do that, why? So that we don't forget. And that we cannot forget our faith in God. The other problem that we have with communicating our faith to our kids is that kids naturally rebel, right? They rebel against authority. They're rebelling against their teachers. And, and it's not always necessarily something that they're doing intentionally. It's just they're trying to figure out who they are. I want to know who I am. I want to make my own decisions. You know, I've had this conversation with Ben lately about the fact that he's in a hard place because as a 13-year-old, he feels like I'm, I'm grown up. I can figure out my own ideas. I know how I want to dress. I know where I want to go. I know what I want to do. But at the same time, he's still living under the authority of me and, and, and his mother. And so I said, you are in a weird place where you have to make sure that you're still submitting yourself to authority. And I talked to him about how even as an adult, I have to submit myself to authority. You know, I have to submit myself to a police officer if he tries to pull me over. I have to submit myself to my boss. I have to submit myself to, to people who are over me in the Lord. You know, you, you have to, even when you're grown, you have to uh, submit to that authority. But, but too often, kids, when they're rebelling against authorities, they'll end up rebelling against the faith of their parents as well. So that's the other thing that we're fighting. So as parents, we have to make sure that we're constantly teaching and modeling how a godly way of life is. We need to make sure that we're filtering ungodly voices. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But there are times when I have to tell Ben, give me your phone. Give me your tablet. I want to look at it. I want to see what you've been watching on YouTube. I want to see what websites you're going to. I want to make sure that the TV shows you're watching. Because, you know, kids today, they don't watch TV on the TV screen in the living room where you can monitor it. They watch it on their phones. They watch it on their tablets, on their computers. And so it's uncomfortable to sometimes have to come in. But I want Ben to know that he's accountable. I want him to know that we're going to be checking up on him. And, you know, that, those are those things that as a parent we have to do. And the last thing we have to do is just cover them in prayer and unconditional love. And when we do that, that's the only way we have to really fight against this stream, uh, this difficulty of transmitting our biblical values. So, how does this all relate to truth? Truth is something that you have to act on, right? How many of you guys know the old maxim that actions speak louder than words, right? So you can say you're a Christian all, all day long, and there are a lot of people in this country that do. They'll say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but then you ask them, when's the last time you went to church? They're like, Easter, you know? Um, when you ask them if, if they're a Christian, you're like, oh, okay, so uh, where are you a member? You know, and they'll say, well, I just kind of bounce around here and there. You know, uh, I go to church with mom on Mother's Day. And, you know, sometimes I remember to pray over my lunch, you know. And to them, that makes them a Christian. But that's not how it works, right? Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. I got my little flag, so I got to cheat, so I get there faster than you. All right, it says, This is the message we heard from Jesus, and that we now declare to you that God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves, and we're not living in the truth. 
But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Here's the problem we have. Too many of us say, I believe the Bible. I believe what it says is true. I'm a Christian. I'm baptized. You know, brother so-and-so dunked me in the water when I was nine, and now I'm good, right? But that's not the way it works. We have to put ourselves in, in submission to the authority of Scripture. We have to, if we read the Bible, and I guarantee you, when you read the Bible, you will be convicted, all right? When you go to the Word of God and say, show me the truth, God's going to show you some things in your life that are not how they should be, right? So the question is, what are you going to do with that knowledge? You can know it up here. You can say, okay, I know God doesn't want me to lie, cheat, steal, blah, 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 on down the line. But if you're still doing those things, then you're not living in the truth. You're lying to yourself if you say that you're a Christian, but you're not living in submission to the authority of God's Word. Sean Lovejoy, a pastor down in Georgia, said that most Christians are already educated far beyond their obedience. He said, we don't need to help people discover some new truth that they've never heard before to make disciples. Because if you keep coming to church week after week after week to hear what the pastor says, eventually he's going to say something he's already said before. You know, So it's not about constantly discovering new truth. I mean, how many times have we read the Bible? I've read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover several times. So when I approach the Bible, I'm not looking for something new that I've never heard before. What I'm looking for is how can I take what's in there and apply it to my life and live in the light of that truth? What we need to do, Sean continues, is that we need to start holding people accountable for what they already know. So here's the deal. You know, how many of you guys have been around a little kid that, you know, you get on to them for something. Oh, you shouldn't have been doing this. Uh, you know better than to mess with my tools. Or, you know, you, know, you shouldn't have said that to your teacher. Or, you know, and, and they always try to say, they, they try to claim like they're innocent, right? Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to go there. I didn't know you didn't want me to go over to so-and-so's house. You know, oh, I didn't realize what time it is. We always want to claim that ignorance, right? We're innocent. We didn't do anything wrong. But the truth is, is that, you know, as a parent, you see right through that, right? You're like, dude, I have told you not to do that like 18 times before. You even said, yes, sir, and you got grounded for it last week, and you're going to try and tell me that you don't know that you weren't supposed to do that. As parents, we see right through that. And yet, we turn around and we look at God and we try to say, oh, I didn't know. I wasn't supposed to do that. I just, you know, and... and you know, you know God's up there shaking his head at us. You know he's up there saying, come on, knucklehead, get it together. You know what to do. It's time to get off, the, uh, get off the couch and go out there and do it. You can have all the good intentions of the world, but until you make a change, until you say, I'm going to live my life differently, I'm going to live my life in the light of truth, then we can never fully say that we are living as Christians. So here's my question for you, and I want to make a challenge to you today. For some of you guys, you don't read the Bible very often. And I'll be honest, I've, all, I've struggled with that from time to time. There are times in my life where I'm just hungry for the Word, right? It's like I can't seem to put it down. I read it every day. I'm looking forward to it. God, what are you going to show me today? God, what, what, what new revelation do you have for me in there? But sometimes we... We look at it as a chore, right? Sometimes we say, this is not something that I really feel like doing. I'm tired. I worked a 16-hour day. My feet feel like they're about to fall off my ankles. And I just don't feel like reading the Bible. But guys, if we're going to walk in the truth, 
We have to read the truth. And then when we read the truth, we have to apply the truth. So here's my challenge for you today. If there's something in your life that God has been trying to deal with you about, because God's not just going to leave you to your own devices. If you've been doing something sinful, if you've been doing something that you shouldn't be doing, if you've been doing something that is detrimental to your spiritual health, God is going to be trying to pull you and woo you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's going to convict you. And so my question is, if you've been resisting that in your life, maybe it's consistent church attendance. Maybe I caught you on the one Sunday a month that you actually come to church. Just being honest. Maybe, maybe it's your giving. Maybe God's been telling you, listen, I challenged you to tithe and give offerings, but you've been resisting that because money's tight. Money's tight. But you can't unlock the blessing of God for your life unless you do what He says, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, hateful attitudes or maybe it's negative thinking. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's bad language. Some of you got bad mouths on you. You, you say things that would make your mama blush right? Whatever it is that's in your life, God has been trying to call you to the next level, right? He doesn't want you to sit where you are. He doesn't want you to stay there, right? He doesn't want you to stagnate. Water that sits still gets nasty, and God doesn't want you to get nasty. He wants you to keep moving, following the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is calling you, and whether you've been saved for one day or one decade or a century, all right, God is constantly trying to make you better. It's called sanctification. It's a process. You know, we believe as Pentecostals that God is constantly shaping us and reforming us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've been resisting that, if there's something in your life that you have been fighting against, today can be a difference. So if there's something in your life that you feel like God has been dealing with you, but you have been holding back, maybe you were scared, Maybe you just weren't ready to turn it over yet. Maybe you're afraid of what will happen if you do. All right? This is the day where it's going to be different. So if there is something in your life that you know that God is currently working for you or working on you with, I would like you to come forward to the, to the altar right now. And, and prayer team, if you guys could join me, because you guys, you guys are professionals. You guys are good at this. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray for you. And if there's something in your life, maybe it's a relationship that isn't the way it should be. You know, maybe, maybe you're living with somebody that you shouldn't be living with. You know, maybe you, you're, you're using substances that you shouldn't be using. Whatever it is that God's trying to do in your life, I want to call you forward today. God is calling you. The Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart springs, strings already, but I'm making it uh, an audible thing for you. I'm challenging you today. If God has something that He's been dealing with you about, I would like you to come forward today and allow us to pray for you. Just Father God, Father God, we pray today, Lord, that we can live in the light of your truth. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to pull on our heartstrings. If we've been too afraid to stand up, if we've been too afraid to call on you, Lord, to turn our lives over completely to you, Lord, we believe, Lord, that we can live our lives in the light of your truth. Lord God, we believe in an absolute truth. We believe in the revelation of your scripture. And Lord, we submit to the authority of it. Lord God, we call today for you to help us to stand firm, Lord, when the world says, Lord, that, that we're wrong, that we're backwards, that we're hateful, that we're bigoted, Lord. Lord, we're not those things. We're living in the light and the love of your scripture. 
Lord God, I pray that you would just be with us, Lord, and help us. Lord, help us to have a hunger and a desire for your word. Lord, when we open our Bibles, Lord, allow us to be so hungry, Lord, that we can't put it down, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds as we read and help us to find the truth contained therein. Lord God, we want to live in submission to your truth. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're going to show us. And Lord, we thank you for the blessings that our obedience is going to unlock in our lives. Lord God, we love you and we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, for not leaving us to figure things out on our own. And so Lord, now we want to take these instructions that you've given us and we want to apply them to our lives. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Submit something in your life over to God. Come, don't let it take another day. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Revival free. 
we're not going to close the altars because they're still up here praying, but at this time, we're going to dismiss for the day. So let's pray a benediction, and then we will see you all next week. Father God, we thank you today for this message that you've given us, Lord God. Lord, we pray that you would help us to remain committed to this idea of absolute truth, Lord, of a, of a right and wrong, of a black and white, Lord, that you've revealed to us in Scripture. Lord God, I pray that you would give us the, the strength to stand firm, Lord, when the world tries to chip away at our conviction, Lord. They try to chip away at what we believe and what we know to be right. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to fight against the currents that are going in the opposite direction, Lord. How hard it is to fight against culture and media that is constantly trying to wear us down, Lord. They're constantly trying to tell us that we're wrong or that we're backwards. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to know the right things to say and do to model for the young people, Lord. Help us to give the right words to say so that we can communicate our faith in, in a way that it will continue on, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would be with everyone here. Lord, and as we study Scripture this, this week, Lord, as we worship you, Lord, as we commune with you in our prayer time, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal something to us, Lord, something that we can use to apply to our lives, Lord, some truth that we can walk in. And Lord God, I pray that you will give us the strength and the wisdom to follow your Holy Spirit's leading, Lord, to stand up and say, I'm going to live in the light of truth. We might have been doing it wrong for all of our adult life, Lord, but we, if we find something, Lord, that is, is ungodly, that is unholy, or it is unrighteous, Lord, we want to purge it from us so that we can live in the light of your truth. Watch over us, protect us, and bring us back again together safely next week. And we pray.